Welcome to the weekly podcast of Science and the City, the public gateway to the New York Academy of Sciences, online at scienceinthecity.org. Today is Friday, January 9th, 2009. I'm Alana Rangi. Aside from being an astronaut, I have always wanted to be an inventor. I have had plenty of moments where I think to myself, I wish I'd thought of that first. And maybe it was in this spirit that I ventured to the ITP Winter Show at NYU's Tisch School for the Arts. ITP's two-year graduate program fuses artists with scientists. The product? Some incredible inventions and elegant art pieces that feature technology and design at their finest. This week, I'm going to tour you around a few projects at the show, and you'll hear from two professors in the program about what makes New York's interactive telecommunications program so unique. So, it's a new year. You've decided that you're going to get that gym membership, maybe spend less time in your cubicle and more time with your family. But what are you going to do for your brain? Science in the City's Five Senses series is your solution. A fresh new science and arts program right here at the Academy. Top scientists and cool artists join forces to get behind our senses. Coming up on January 12th, cognitive neuroscientist Christoph Koch and ex-magician Apollo Robbins team up for the science of vision. To get your tickets, log on to scienceandthecity.com slash five senses. It's a Thursday night, and I'm standing on the fourth floor of NYU's Tisch Building, the home of the Interactive Telecommunications Program, better known as ITP. I'm here for the ITP Winter Show, a showcase of technological inventions and artistic projects by the students in the program. The floor plan is open, and the space is packed with ITP students, media, and the curious public. I'm reminded of an elementary school science fair, but for grown-ups. Yo. Uh, puzzle group needs light, anti-paparazzi machine uh, needs darkness. Right. So I can move one to where. That sounds a good plan. Which one would you prefer? Why don't we move? Um, uh, the anti-paparazzi doesn't need anything. Oh, Marianne. My name is Marianne Petit, and I'm an associate arts professor here at ITP. And I'm Tom Igo, and I'm also an Associate Arts Professor here at NYU. ITP is a two-year full-time graduate program. It's an interdisciplinary interactive arts program. Our students come from a really wide array of backgrounds. Some come from, as you said, acting, visual arts, sculpture, um, painting, architecture. We have students who also come from computer science, engineering, etc. So it's really very diverse student body that we work with. They also come from 40 countries this year. And what happens is they come in their first semester, they sort of go through a battery of foundation courses that sort of uh, go through sort of the basic premises of, of the, the future course of work that they want to do here, basics of to computational media, digital media, physical computing. And then they sort of run off on their own to sort of experiment in a variety of different other classes that we have in mobile development, social software, uh, networked objects, assistive technology, etc. I'm here to check out some of the projects, most of which are elegant fusions of art and science. The scene at the show is a bit chaotic. There are lots of flashing lights and noisy sounds, and the occasional cat-sized robot bumps into my feet. And then, from across the room, 
I spy the piano. Um, my name is Florica Vlad. And I'm Oscar Torres. And this invention is called? The Pianoctail. Pianoctail. First of all, can you describe for me what this looks like for somebody who can't see? Sure. So we have a grand upright piano that um, we repainted and we hooked up this circuit to it. So basically every single key is hooked up to the circuit so it's recognizing your key presses. And we have a tube system here where the liquid dispenses with solenoid valves on top. And on top of the solenoid valves, we've put some light so you can see which bottles are being dispensed. Yeah. So you can have a seat and play a little tune, and you can basically play yourself a drink and see what comes up. We were thinking about like a synesthesia. Okay, so I can sit and make a drink? Yeah. Okay. All right, so I'm sitting at this upright piano. Can I press more than one at a time? Yeah, you can press as many as you want. The way, the way okay. it works is that play your song, and mm -hmm. after you're done playing, there's an algorithm that sort of computes everything that you've played and then decides what the drink should be. Do they come out tasting good ever? Uh, they're all juice right now. They're all juice, so, so it's all good. <laughs> so they come out fruity. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, so here we go. Done. I'm done. If I'm done my up, my tune. The piano will do its thing. Okay. Okay, so now it's mixing some. Uh... Oh, that's like mango, lemonade, and blackberry. Oh, and you can see it's squirting juice into this too. Now uh, you had some of this. What was this? That was, I think, cranberry. Cranberry. And it's mixing you a fruity concoction. <laughs> wow. And so, how does it know? You know. Say I, say I play a whole sort of like Bach fugue or something, how does it know how much juice to fill the cup with? Well, the, the way that the algorithm is set up is uh, we, we have 88 sensors under the piano, so each key gets a sensor. So therefore, we're able to take all the data from that specific piece. We then get an average of all the keys that were played, and then we divide, we do some math. So pretty much, we map all the drinks to the, to the different sections of the piano. So that when you're done, whatever sections you played and uh, the keys and notes and so forth, then it just gets an uh, average of that and it gives you, you know, appropriate alcohol to them. We did it with alcohol at the Nime um, concert on Monday night, and we got some really crazy concoction. We had like blue curacao and like mint liqueur and all sorts of like. But I think that was like the fun of it that people yeah. were just like really surprised. They never knew what they were gonna get and. They wanted to see, like, okay, what would the Moonlight Sonata taste like? You know, you have a song in mind, and you want to play it, and you want to see what, what comes out. Neither Florica nor Oscar are scientists. In fact, they both studied arts for their undergrad. While ITP is a program focused on technology, classes are a healthy mix of students from every discipline, from film majors to chemical engineers to computer programmers and interior designers. This mix, says Tom, is the perfect recipe for great ideas like the Pianoctail. This year, ITP turns 30. Both Tom and Marianne teach courses in the program. Tom says that despite the fact that technology changes rapidly, ITP has been able to keep up. It, it, the program has changed uh, over 30 years, certainly. And the way it's changed is you can, you can sort of look at whatever technologies are 
just beginning to hit mainstream but not necessarily developed into everyday applications, those are usually the things we're working with. So they're not the bleeding edge. They're a few feet behind the bleeding edge. The reason for that is we really do look for things where it's been developed enough that whoever developed it can make an understandable interface for people to use. We really look for technologies that can easily be sort of shoved together. So whether that was, you know, HTML in 95-96 or, you know, Flash and Shockwave and all of that a little later on or CD-ROMs before that. Nowadays, obviously, we're seeing a lot of physical computing partially because we've grown it and partially because the tools to do that have gotten easier. Um, we're seeing tons of these uh, new web APIs like, uh, you know, Google and Twitter and things like that are making it easier and easier to build applications very quickly. Mobile phone applications have built out a lot in the last couple of years. So what's coming down the next uh, pipe? Well, I mean, I, again, it would be whatever is bleeding edge now. Three or four years from now, we'll probably be playing with it. So an example of technology the ITP program uses a lot now? Photovoltaic panels or solar cells. And ever wonder what a solar cell might sound like? You are listening to it. My name is Mike Rosenthal. And what do you call this? Uh, these are solar robotic instruments. So the theory is that all of these instruments that we've built are based off of a solar engine that's driving them. Um, so that's what these little guys are here. And then each one of the instruments has a panel of three or four or five solar cells that are driving it. And so these ones are xylophones, and these all the tiles are actually on magnets. So the idea is you can sort of create your own melody by moving them around. Now... This is kind of hard. It's, it makes sense when you can see it. Right. But if you hard can't see it, how would you describe this? Uh, right. So, so the Xylobot looks, it actually looks like a clock. I've had a few people say to me it looks like a clock. And there's a mallet in the center where your second hand would be that is spinning around as fast as it can given the, the light in the room, uh, which, it, you know, it's a lot faster than 60 times a second. Um, and it's spinning around hitting... Um, xylophone tiles that, that instead of sort of all in a, in a row as you're used to seeing them have been sort of individualized off um, where the numbers on a clock would be and you can sort of move them around on these magnets to put them in different places we wanted an instrument that was flexible for improvising with so you can sort of move them around and create different melodies uh, based on where you put the tiles in relation to each other and so why why um I don't know, why not, right? I mean, we, we've created, I've created a lot of musical instruments over the years, and I was really interested in learning about solar uh, and how that would work and how you would incorporate solar into a live performance. I mean, so many of those performances are take place at night, you know, in dark clubs and that sort of thing. So the idea of sort of playing an instrument with light was very compelling to me. So, like, these guys are these little pontoon bots that I have that um, just spin around when there's, when there's light. Yeah. Bots, these have little propellers on them and they get going really loud. They're practically like levitating. Oh, yeah, almost kind of, hovering yeah. really if we had enough cells, right? Um, and so the idea was just to have a lot of different instruments that were all solar powered and, and like it was sort of the premise, like we want solar powered instruments. Okay, well, what would that look like? What would that sound like? How do you make that work? We don't want any computers involved. We don't want all the wires you're used to seeing. And so it was more just a, a design challenge than anything else. And um, we played a show with them on Monday night and it was great. It was like a nice five or 10 minute piece and um, it sounded really nice. 
Um, and where'd it, you get the solar panels? Um, eBay, 30 bucks for 30 of them. I don't know, they were a buck a piece up Not there. Uh, yeah, they're, they're really standard solar cells and, um, and they work pretty well. And then these boards, um, these we, it's just a basic Miller engine, which is just a, an engine for driving solar. It's basically got a couple of capacitors, a, a voltage trigger, uh, that sort of thing. So when, and we had those boards printed for us. We got like 50 of the same board and then soldered up all the capacitors and voltage triggers and stuff like that so that we could create all sorts of different instruments with the same idea. And once you have the board, you hook up solar panels on one side, motor on the other side, and you go. And so they're really easy at that point. So aside from like novelty uh -huh. instruments, um, can you see any real-world applications for this kind of technology? No more or less than a lot of electronic music instruments. I mean, it, it, they're fun to play. Um, it's certainly not like uh, going to make your, your life better in, in any way. It's not going to like solve any, any medical issues, but it's definitely um, fun. <laughs> I mean, I like a lot of electronic music instruments. They're just fun to play. And uh, I, you know, I'd like to take them all out in a field somewhere and just play them out there. I think that would be really cool as well. There is a tremendous sense of community here, and I'm not sure if that's necessarily something that's evident when you come to the shows because people are presenting their own projects. But as you noted, when you walk through the space, there's a lot, a lot of open space. There aren't a lot of little, small classrooms and small studio spaces. And I think that when students do come here, it's a very sort of intense, immersive experience. They kind of live on the floor. And there's all sorts of really sort of Aside from productive collaborations, real friendships that form, and it's it's a unique, unique environment to sort of spend two years of your life in, and the connections remain long after graduation. I mean, IT peers tend to hire other IT peers and that kind of thing, and I don't think that that's necessarily something people look for in a graduate program. They tend to look for what they're going to to acquire for the next phase of their life, and I think it's a surprising aspect that you end up also requiring some of the the best friendships of your life as well here because of the nature of the space. It's Nicholas Rubin. All right, Nicholas, what are we looking at here? This is called the Cosmic Hand Dance Actualization Machine, and it's inspired by psychedelic and rave culture. Which, which I assume you participated in at some I point. I have an that. anthropological interest in it. I have a sort of uh, a reluctant love for it. But there's these kids in rave culture who do this thing called glow sticking. And in dark lights, they use glow sticks to create um, volumetric form with their hands dancing. And so I wanted to make this as an opportunity uh, to recreate that sort of like electronic ritual whereby people get to see cosmic imagery being generated by hand gestures. So I made this, which is an interactive uh, 3D projection surface. And there's infrared sensors that trigger various sacred and cosmic geometry. Sacred. In tune with your hand movements. Um, so this is obviously for radio. So uh, it's quite mesmerizing when I, I'm looking at it now. But could you, could you describe kind of just what it looks like? I took a, uh, a clear plastic hemisphere and I covered it in frosting and white paint and I made a projection surface and there's a projector underneath it that's projecting onto the half spheroid surface from underneath and there's a volume that's the interior of the bowl and as you move your hands around inside the volume it triggers the generation of different shapes dynamically in tune with your hand movements and some of them are stars and sort of like energy lines and circles how does it um, know which shapes to give you? Uh, I chose an array of dynamic shapes, basically, that are triggered depending on hand position. 
Right. So the distance from each one of these sensors changes the uh, attributes of the shape dynamically, cool. procedurally in time. So width and size and color and... So have you had any like ravers come and try this out? I think there's a lot of secret ravers here because people often raved in high school. <laughs> so you can tell the ones that actually have some experience because they get really comfortable with it really quickly and they ask me to, why isn't there techno music playing? Ah, but it's loosely why inspired. Why isn't there techno music loosely playing? Inspired. <laughs> It's a con that's sort of my conceptual foundation, but actually it's, it's really, it was really an experiment for me to uh, interact with animation spatially without actually having to touch anything. So creating a volume that you know is driving something visually. Um, what did you do your undergrad in? Uh, I went to RISD, uh, Rhode Island School of Design for animation, digital animation. So this is kind of up your alley. It's a natural evolutionary step from what I was doing. And why did you come to ITP? Uh, because ITP quite simply seemed like the most appropriate multidisciplinary high-tech creative environment to pursue what I was interested in. What was the hardest thing about this? About this project? Yeah. Uh, the level of variables you have to deal with because it's animation, engineering, programming, uh, sculpture, design and presentation all wrapped up into one project means that you have to keep track of so many possible things that could fail in the pipeline that it turns you into this sort of like um, like Murphy's Law, like judo expert. Nicholas's cosmic hand dance actualization machine is quite the psychedelic experience, but I can't help wondering exactly what happens to students like Nicholas and their projects once they're done inventing at ITP. I asked Tom how often students' projects get scouted and picked up by industry. Well, we don't necessarily do technology transfer in the same way that some of the more uh, hard science and engineering programs do. We don't, we don't do work for money in that sense. I'd say the biggest transfer is actually businesses and corporations that will come here and see students' ideas and say, that's great, we'd like to hire you. Uh, we'd like to get you involved. Because for us, uh, first of all, all of the projects are the students' own work. You know, they own their ideas and they walk out with those. So we have had students who've had project ideas bought by various companies and developed. No, I was going to say, and I think that that's actually unique to the program because we are located in the School of the Arts. Um, our intellectual property policy is that the students own their own work. And so they go off in the world and, you know, they exhibit their work under their own name. It's not, you know, ITP doesn't necessarily become associated with that work. And so... I think that that is a unique part of the and part of the the process, and so some, sometimes they do do sell their own work and do that, but it's 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 separate from us. But definitely the hiring process, I think, is what happens a lot. And lots of times when you talk about some of the more interesting things happening in the world, there are ITP people involved in it. Certainly, mm. yeah. a lot of the projects at the ITP shows are the students' thesis projects. Some, however, are products of first-year coursework, and I asked Tom and Marianne to describe a yeah, couple of them. See the, um, the Readbox project, yeah. um, Puzzle Groove is an intro project. Breath Note is a project where basically sort of re uh, recollects the experience of when you're a kid and you would blow on glass and then, and then draw in that, and I mean, it's beautifully done, and that's a first-semester project as well. Yeah, that came out of his intro to computational media class. Um, Puzzle Groove is a project where you're standing in front of a, um, of a screen and, and you dance, and the more you dance, uh, the more points you get scored on screen, uh, which was out of his physical computing class. 
uh, Drawing Jackson Pollock is a project that two students did where you take a Wii uh, controller for the game controller and uh, use it like a paintbrush like Jackson Pollock did to fling paint on the floor. Um, and you can mix colors, and it, yeah, and that's an intro physical computing class project, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, those, so those are those are some of the more enjoyable projects. I agree with Marianne. The intro classes are probably the most fun to teach. For me, intro physical computing is is my intro class, and and what I love about it is is actually not the the technology side. I mean, it's always fun to watch them go. Ooh, wow! I can do this without electrocuting myself. But it's really fun when they start to get what physical interaction design is all about and to get that you can't make interactive applications without understanding that a person is going to do something and that your job is really to figure out how to guide them in what they do. I mean, I, I find that quite often teaching that class is more about teaching acting or directing than it is teaching circuits. And when students get that, they get to make really interesting things. So that's why I love it. ITP has a show every semester. You can check out their spring show on May 10th and 11th. For Science in the City, I'm Alana Rangi. Do you love Science in the City podcasts? There are a couple ways you can show your support. First, you could become a member of the New York Academy of Sciences. You can do that by going online at www.nias.org. Second, get your name and advertising in a Science in the City podcast by sponsoring one. For more information, email Adrian Burke at A-B-U-R-K-E at N-Y-A-S dot org. Did you know you can subscribe to Science in the City podcast on iTunes and get our newest story every week downloaded automatically to your iTunes library? Search Science in the City in your iTunes search bar. If you have any questions or comments about our show, we would love your feedback please send us an email at scienceandthecity at nyas.org or you can leave us a voicemail at 212-298-8654. And don't forget to check us out online, scienceandthecity.org. See you next week.